Hey, one of my favorite memories from childhood was, um, well, I'm the youngest of four kids in my family, and um, I, I, being the youngest of four, my, my oldest sister is, I don't know, eight years older than me or something. But anyway, when, when growing up, when, when you're watching TV, who gets control of the remote? The older person, right? And so if if my sister is watching TV, I, I don't what I want to watch doesn't matter. She's watching it, right? And then if she's not around, then it's the next oldest sister. And if she's not around, then it's the, my older brother. And so I, I didn't get to choose what to watch on TV very often. But one of my favorite memories is when I realized that if I want to watch what I want to watch on TV, I'll go to my parents' room because there's a TV in there. And, and so I found found a loophole. And so I got to watch TV, and, and I would watch TV on their bed, and I would eat macaroni and cheese, and I'd watch Scooby-Doo. And, and I love Scooby-Doo. It was one of my favorite shows because I was a dog person and I collected dog stuffed animals and, and Scooby-Doo was funny. And, and if you don't know Scooby-Doo because he lived under a rock or maybe you just don't watch cartoons from the 90s, uh, there's a group of teenagers and they have a dog and they go and they drive in a van and they solve mysteries. And, and a lot of the plot lines around Scooby-Doo is around monsters and spirits and, and uh, ghosts and things like that. And I remember watching this, watching Scooby-Doo as a kid watching, like, they're trying to figure out stuff about ghosts, and I remember being scared about it for a little bit, and then it didn't take very long for me to realize that when you watch Scooby-Doo, what about, what's, what's true about all the monsters and ghosts and spirits? That they're not real, right? Every single spirit, every single monster, every single ghost that's in Scooby-Doo, as you're watching it, it might see, they're wrecking havoc, and everything seems very scary and strange and paranormal, and, and, and then... It didn't take long for me as a kid to realize no matter how, how messed up it looked, it's going to be fine because, you know, ghosts are fake. Spirits are fake. And, and, and so that's kind of the cultural norm that I think a lot of ways that we've developed where blame at Scooby-Doo, I don't think so. But when, when there's things that seem scary, that seem like maybe it's demonic, maybe it's spiritual, well, we'll, we'll deal with it and we might attribute it to that. But then at the end of the day, there's something in us that believes, well, that's not true. There must be something else behind it. Um, but then as Christians, as, as Bible-believing evangelicals, we, we read the Bible, and it talks about spiritual warfare, and, and so we read about spirits and stuff happening, and so there's this tension where part of our mind says, logically, we know this isn't real, but then the Bible says it is, and, and so I think what we, we sometimes do is that we'll say, okay, it seems like this whole un- series of unfortunate events, there's something spiritual happening here. Something, Something's not right, and we don't know what it is, and so there's got to be something else with it. But then at the same time, we'll say, well, that's just because whoever set up the computer programmed it wrong, and so the lights just keep turning off. That's not spiritual warfare. That, that's just a computer being a computer. And, and, and there's this tension of, of, is it spiritual, is it not? Is it spiritual, is it not? Um, but... The Bible says there is spiritual things that we deal with. Spiritual, the enemy is not flesh and blood. Um, I, I think of uh, every fall I take my, my students on a youth retreat. And we just went a couple of weeks ago and it was awesome. But the, the, the morning of the retreat, we usually leave at like 4.30 from the church. And spend the morning as all of the prep and work has gone into the process of preparing for this retreat, uh, I, I text all of my leaders and I say, hey guys, remember today's retreat day. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and there's spiritual warfare all around us. That there's so much potential for life transformation on these retreats that it would make a whole lot of sense if there's an enemy for him to, to sabotage us in any way possible, and so be on the alert and be in prayer, right? 
And, and so that's what we do. And, and so we pray and we say, God, you're God. Be in charge. We need you. And, and every single retreat, some stuff just on the day, the, the day of stuff happens. And that's, it is what it is. But God's on the throne. Today, wherever we land on spirits, we, we tend to make one of two mistakes. One, we will um, either overestimate the devil's impact in our life and we'll give him more power than he actually has and we'll live with this inflated false perspective that the demonic's influence is actually super powerful and su- has all these different abilities. And then as a result, we live in fear and we live in anxiety and, and that's our lens to life. And then the other extreme is that we tend to underestimate the devil and we miscalculate the impact that he has in our life and, and we just are blind to it. And then we prioritize the things we see over the things we can't see. And as a result, we discount his influence in our lives. Um, the reality is that the existence of the enemy is that he's there. He, he, he's clearly there, but he's hidden. And at best, we, we recognize his presence in like these theoretical, non-threatening ways. And then as a culture, we, we try to like we'll recognize it, but then we don't want to worship it. We don't want to focus on it too much. We just don't know what to do with it. There's spiritual warfare around us. We just don't know what to do. Connecting this all back to our text, we've been going through Ephesians for the last while. And as we've been studying Ephesians, what we found is that Paul is encouraging believers to stand firm and walk in a way that's worthy to the Lord. Right? That's, that's the whole point. Stand firm. Walk in a way that's worthy to the Lord. And then Paul gives a bunch of qualifications, and he, and he says... Do this in all areas of your life. But guess what? In the passage we have today, he says, yes, you're supposed to do this, but we have a real enemy who would love to see us mess up. And so it's going to be difficult. Don't, don't expect that you can just push through and, and be the best Christian you can be and have everything go well because things are going to come up and things are going to be difficult because we have a real enemy. And, and so uh, when, when, when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, he would not have had to convince them of the, the supernatural spiritual realm at all. Uh, there's all sorts of demonic influence that they believed in that was all around them. Um, the ch- Ephesus as, as a city was at a crossroads. It was a big trading city. It was the capital for a while. Um, and, and it was wide known, widely spread, widely known that Ephesus was a center for magic. And, and not just like Magic the Gathering, the card game, but like magic spiritual realm stuff. Um, and, and so they would recognize that there's spirits all over their lives and that they would usually go to magic to assist. And so it's in, in the context of magic and, and spiritual stuff that Paul goes ahead and he writes this section of his letter. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Um Yes, your Bible has Ephesians, even if you can't find it. Did you guys know that the program we used to put the Bible on the screen, it, it ties to the Faith Life Study Bible app, and it works in a way where when you open it up on your phone, it will say, hey, are you at Oak Grove Church? And if you say yes, whenever there's a new Bible passage, they'll just go to it. I know, fascinating. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's how it's supposed to work. 
Ephesians chapter 6. It says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Verse 10, verse 11 now. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, and against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Um... I'll read it again. Finally, I'm reading the CSB. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in the heavens. Normally, if you're in a conversation with someone and or you're um, having some sort of debate or if you're um, reading a letter and they say finally, what does that mean? You're getting to the end, and it's great. We're, fi- we're finally getting to the closing remarks, but it also means to look back at everything that we've done so far. It's not a total new chapter. It's, okay, given everything that we've talked about, finally, he- here's what's up. A- and Ephesians has been packed in con- with content, and it's been great, but now that we're nearing the end, it says, finally be strengthened, given what? Well, the entire call so far, the entire context that we need to remember the Ephesians is about comes back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, therefore... I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. Um, Paul says, walk worthy of the receiving you've received. He's saying, hey, you are a child of God. There's a specific call in your life, and so, so do it. Carry this out in your life. But, and, and then he says, here's what it means. Husbands, lead your families. Fathers, lead. Wives, submit, honor. Children, obey. Slaves, masters, obey, honor, respect. All, all of this is what it means to live out this call on our life. And, and like I, I mentioned previously, the kicker is that this isn't just something that we can just will ourselves into and just be strong enough and just be hard enough and just be devout enough and expect everything to go well because it's not going to. Because the enemy that we have, as we just read, is not flesh and blood, but it's spiritual. And so the whole big idea for today is that there's extremely powerful spiritual beings that strategize and they carry out plans to derail our best intentions of Christians to live out God's call in our life. We... we, we we know how we're supposed to live because God told us here's how we're supposed to live. We can set our intentions on that, but it's going to be difficult. Now, like I previously said, uh, no one would have been surprised that Paul is talking about the spiritual realm, especially in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus, it's this magic epicenter. Uh, the primary god that they worshipped was a god that, that used magic named Artemis. And there's these magical words, these six words that are that people would, um, they, they take the word and they like sew it on little pouches and wear it on their clothing and they would use these words in invocations and spiritual rituals and they would use these, these magic words and, and they're known as the Ephesian letters. And so historians have found all sorts of inscriptions and all sorts of amulets and things with these Ephesian letters on it and would travel through the entire region and, and people would know of Ephesus because of the magic and the spiritual um, influence that it has. It's all super fascinating to, to me with all the archaeology and everything that people are digging up. And, and I could talk the rest of the sermon about magic and magic beliefs and everything that people are finding, but that's not the point of the sermon, so I'm not going to digress. But there is one relevant passage in Acts chapter 19 that is worth looking at when it comes to magic in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, verse 13, 
It's on the screen, so you don't have to flip there if you don't want to. But it says, Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempt to pronounce this, the name of the Lord over those who had the evil spirits. Well, what's the exorcist? Well, it, it's a, a, the Jewish it's a Jewish guy and his sons, and they're trying to cast out spirits from people who are possessed. And so it says they attempt to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus, by the Jesus that Paul preaches. And the seven sons of Sceva, or Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greeks, and they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. Verse 18, And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. And so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the Lord the way of the Lord flourished and prevailed. Um, this instance really interest, interesting to me. Um, there, there's a guy who um, is, is working as an exorcist. His job is to go around and cast out demons and, and spirits. And he goes ahead and he says, well, I've heard of this Jesus and he's powerful, so I'm going to add Jesus to the formula. And so he uses the name of Jesus and then stuff goes poorly for him. Um, and, and, and the whole group gets hurt. And, and in Luke's estimation, that they went ahead and the people in the region, they said, okay, Jesus is apparently more powerful. And so all this magic that we're relying on, we're going to go ahead and, and say, okay, we're finally done with this. And so they put it in a big heap and they burn it. And um, it, it says 50 pieces of silver or 50,000 pieces of silver. Um, it might be, might be the Roman piece of silver, might be Greek, either, either way. It's about a day's labor wage. And so 50,000 days worth of, of wage, they go ahead and burn right there in a pile saying, we're, we're done with this. And, and this is important for two things. One, it shows that there's a lot of people who are in Ephesus who previously practiced magic who are now believers in the church. And, and the second thing is that there's an incredibly strong pull of people to bring their spiritual environment and and have it as part of their lives. People went to their houses and they had magical things, magical books, magical amulets, and they would use it to interact with, at some level, the spiritual realm. There was a recognition that the spiritual world is very real. We need some sort of defense against it. We need something to interact with it, some way to control it in our lives, and so this is what people did. And this isn't just the pagans. In fact, there is a form of Judaism, which uh, you might call folk Judaism. And, and it's where there's Jews who had strong beliefs in angel and evil spirits, and they use like folk remedies to go ahead and um, interact with this phenomena. And so as people are digging up the rocks and looking in the Ephesus area in the region nearby, they're finding a number of magical amulets that had Jewish origin. Um, like like there, there's one that contains an invocation to the, the ever-living Adonai, and on the other side there's this Hebrew cryptographic scheme magic thing on it that they're realizing people are using to control the spiritual realm, and they're using Adonai and and Jewish beliefs in it. Um, you, guys, you remember Solomon from the Old Testament? What's he known for? 
wisdom and, and having more wisdom and knowledge than, than anyone else did. And, and, and so over Jewish history, people took Solomon, and, and the historian Josephus even wrote about how God granted Solomon knowledge of the art used against demons for the benefit and healing of men. And, and so there's all these amulets found in Smyrna and, and the region around with the name of Solomon being used to protect people from all these evil spirits. And it almost becomes like this magical thing. People in Ephesus, the whole point here is that today we, we, we question how the spiritual stuff influences our life. That's not the question to Paul's audience. They knew how the spiritual stuff influences life. There's Paul saying, who's in charge? And, and, and so as we read this, we, we, we see that Paul doesn't condemn the belief in the spiritual realm, but instead he clarifies it's God who's God. He's powerful over all. They knew they needed countermeasures, and so he's saying, go to God. Don't go to your own strengths and your own um, magic to assist. Make sense so far? It's Halloween. We're talking about spirits. Let's go. Um, chapter 6, verse 10, we're going to dig deep. It says, finally, I should read it in the Bible. Is it any more spiritual if I read it out of my notes versus the Bible? Probably not. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Paul says be strong in the Lord. And it's kind of like a summary encouragement over the entire passage and gets to the heart of what Christians are supposed to do. Remember, the audience that Paul is writing to are, are believers who have had their lives transformed by the gospel, and now it's, okay, how do I live? It says be strong in the Lord. That's this, this growing, deeper, present, dynamic relationship. Depend on God who is powerful enough to do more than anyone could ask or imagine, is what Paul writes. Remember their identity. Remember that you're God's child. Put your dependence in God. Uh, um, it, in Second Timothy two, it says that Timothy. Or sorry, in Second Timothy chapter two, Paul tells Timothy, "Be strong." And, and when we read, "Be strong" in the Bible, there, there's there's this thing in, in Scripture when a New Testament writer will be writing something, and then he'll use a couple of words, and then he kind of expects that the audience hears a whole bunch of Old Testament references. Being strong should bring some sort of memory of Joshua, where, where God continually tells Joshua time and time again to be strong while he's supposed to lead God's people out of the land of Canaan. Um, there, there's all sorts of enemies that they had. We have that too, but now our enemies are not just human opponents. They're, they're spiritual, and so be strong. Find strengthen who God is. If, if I'm a coach and my athlete is running a race and it's, they're, they're starting to weary some, and so I say, be strong, what am, what am I telling the athlete to do? Dig deep. Be strong. This is what you've trained for. Push through. You can do this. Depend on yourself. What Paul's saying is, is not be strong in yourself because your battle is going to be difficult. He's saying be strong in the Lord. Paul's calling for this dependence and intimacy with who God is, with this constant communication, constant prayer, constant relationship with God. Be strong in God. Depend on him. Don't, don't say be strong in yourself and try to use all these magical rituals to figure out how to be the best Christian you can be. Instead, trust God. And so this is why Paul prayed repeatedly. If you go back through Ephesians, now that we're getting to the close of this, and, and you say, okay, now let me read this all one more time. And, and you go through the prayers that Paul reads. He, he prayed, 
He said, this is why, I think this is chapter one-ish. It says, this is why, since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you know what is the hope of our calling, what is the wealth of the glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe, according to the mighty works of his strength. And he goes on and says, that same strength that God gives us is the same strength that raised Jesus from the grave. Um, super, super interesting when, when it says be strong in God. What, what does that strength we get to, to pull on? It's so much better than anything that we can try to willpower on our own. And so Paul prays that God's would, people would have their eyes open to this greatness of God's power. Um, but he's saying be very clear where the strength comes from. This isn't something where you, it, it, it's kind of like that thing when we read about the fruit of the Spirit and, and we read about here's all the characteristics of what it means to be a good Christian and a, clearly I'm not nice and I'm not loving and not patient and so I need to work on those things and develop them in my life because I want to be a good Christian so I need to do this myself. And that's not how it works. Instead, if the Spirit is part of you, here's how your life is going to look. If you're depending on God, he's going to give you the strength to get through whatever the spiritual warfare is in your life. Um, and it's only available through this union and participation with, with who Christ is. Continuing on in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and put on be strengthened by the Lord and put by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God. Uh, Paul explains, here's, here's how we're supposed to get up, get this strength. Use God's armor. Um, yes, you have this relationship with God, but there is preparation and, and, and work that goes into it as well. We're to take God's divine gifts and, and use them to assist us in this conflict with the spiritual hostile forces. Um, he uses a military metaphor spiritual, uh, of God's armor. And if we're in a Sunday school class over there and we talk about spirit, the spiritual armor of God, um, what are we going to do? We're going to put a poster on the wall and it's going to be a Roman soldier and we're going to say, here's what it looks like to put on God's armor. But that, that, that the illustration kind of falls short a little bit. It makes sense because Paul's probably in prison when he's writing this and he's probably around a bunch of Roman soldiers. But what he's getting at is, well, there's this, this historian, I, I read a lot of ancient stuff, but there's this Roman historian, Politius, and, and he gives this whole explanation for um, what the Roman centurion looked like. And Paul says the complete armor of God, not just some of the armor of God. And, and the complete armor of a Roman soldier has these javelins and has got these greaves or leg armor, and there's there's more to it than what Paul writes. And so you got to ask the question, how come Paul doesn't like talk about the complete armor if the whole point is to put on the whole complete armor? Well, Instead, he's pulling from a different image. It's not the Roman soldier. It, it, it's an image found in Isaiah chapter 11. It says, But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he'll kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips, and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. And then in 50, chapter 59, it says, He put on a righteousness as body armor, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself with zeal as in a cloak. This might be nitpicking. But think about it for a second. If you are going to battle and need to put armor on, where are you going to get the armor from? Maybe you inherit it. Maybe you buy it. Maybe you make it. You, maybe you, you, you figure out a way to get this armor because you're going to battle and you need to, to, to pony up and, and be strong. But where's the armor coming from that God's telling us to put on? 
It, it's God who's the divine warrior giving that armor to us. It, it's God's armor, not our own. It's not something that we are trying to make ourselves the, the focus of, of going to battle. It's God is completely taking care of us, completely giving us what we need. And so Paul tells us and his audience to be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength, put on the complete armor of God. If you recall Pastor Matt's sermons on, on the phrase put on, it's a weighty term. Put on, it, it means all sorts of stuff. And, and, and the vernacular, it put on was literally like when you put your clothes on or if you put armor on. And, and, and he uses it in a metaphorical sense saying, you have an identity in Christ, walk in that, put that on, wear that that identity of who Christ is and, and what Christ has made you rather than um, any of the idolatrous versions of ourselves. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. And earlier in the letter, Paul said, put on, he said, put on the new self. Or no, he said, hang on. Put on the new self that was created in the likeness of God and righteousness and holiness of truth. So essentially what Paul's saying is to put on the armor of God means to put on your new self. It, it, it's the same thing. Walk in your identity, stand strong in who God is, trust him, but expect life to be difficult because there's other enemies who would love to see us fail. Ultimately, all of this is about who God is and, and not about us and our own strength. And so knowing the truth of who we are in union with Christ and cultivating these virtues of what it means to be God's creation uh, and using the resources that God gives us, the armor of God, the strength that he gives us, is at the heart of what it means to put on the armor of God. And so come back next week for more on the actual armor of God piece. But why, why do we need this strength and armor? Well, chapter 6, verse 11, the end of it says, so, put on, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul told the believers that they need God's strength because there's a well-planned scheme that the devil has for his people. Which means what? If it's well-planned. It's not going to be like an accident that it happens. The, 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 the purpose of the armor is because it'll strengthen us and enable us to believe it. Allow us to stand against who the enemy is and what they're trying to do. And what's the enemy trying to do? Cause us to fall at living out our call, walking worthy of who God is. Um, and then it, I was reading different people and, and what their thoughts were about this passage, and it said there, there's this common belief that when it says to stand, what's it say? So you can stand against the schemes of the devil. People will read that and say, okay, we need to stand against the devil, which means we need to resist and not be overpowered and not retreat. But they leave it there and say, okay, that's just defensive. That's not offensive at all. And so there's all, if you are interested in stuff, there's all sorts of writing out there about the Greek and the grammar and stuff. Don't, don't just be one of those people who thinks this is just defensive. There's also an offensive component to all of this. Um, God's plan for redemption and believers was to both be strong, but also to carry out God's plan, and, and, and that included his combat against the spiritual realm. What Paul does not say, hmm. yeah, what Paul does not say is how these schemes, which he, he later refers to as flaming arrows, how, how, how they actually show up in our life. There's all sorts of ways that these show up in our life. He doesn't spell them all out. Um, 
so that, so as we are living our lives as Christians and as culture changes and time changes, um, I, I think the ways that we are attacked changes as well. Uh, and, and so this could be people who try to teach things contrary to what Scripture says. This could be uh, causing us to fall to temptation. It could be physical trials. It could be overt manifestations or in, in, any any sorts of stuff could happen. Uh, am I saying that if the lights keep flickering out, that's not spiritual warfare? No. Yes, I know it's a computer, but who knows what else is involved. There, there's this tension of not knowing um, because it's invisible spirits that we know are against us, trying to get in the way. We'll, we'll continue. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness and evil. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Um, do any translations say wrestling or anything about wrestling in there? Yeah. Uh, so if you were like in high school in an English class and you write an essay and you're using one metaphor and then you use, immediately switch to a different metaphor, you're going to be marked down for that. You're not supposed to do that, right? You stick to one metaphor and you, and you go with it. And, and Paul, he, he, he uses this military metaphor of armor of God, and then he immediately switches to an athletic metaphor of wrestling. And, and, and I don't think it's being sloppy. To, to, to just, I don't think Paul's just being sloppy, just skipping around wherever he wants. I think instead he, he, he's being very precise in what he's doing. Um, wrestling was very common in the Greco-Roman world, not something that would have been foreign to them. There was the Olympics and things like the Olympics happening all over the place. Um, and, and there was this this story that people found inscriptions about, and it's, in fact, there's this encyclopedia. You guys, do you, Emma, do you know what an encyclopedia is? So it used to be books where you look things up instead of going on Google, and you look in the book and you say, what, what, is, what do I want to learn about this? And, and, and people found from the 10th century, so a long time after what we're reading about, but there, there's this docu- this this entry about um, the, the Ephesian letters I told you about. Remember those magic words that people would sew on themselves and, and use on amulets and try to control the spiritual realm? And, and so you go and you look about the Ephesian letters, and there's, there's a story about wrestling. And, and it says, at the Olympia, when there was a Milesian and an Ephesian who were wrestling, the Milesian was not able to wrestle because the other was holding the Ephesian letters around his ankle. And so when it was clear, they were taken off him, and the Ephesian failed 30 times in a row. Um, I might venture so far to say that Paul knows very well that when he talks about wrestling when it comes to spiritual warfare in Ephesus, that he knows about this story of how when you wrestle and you trust your own spiritual magical ways to control the realm, it's going to fail. Um, and, and so Paul, he, he, he says, he, he's in one way switching... switching... Um, Metaphors, that's the word Emma thinks. Um, he, he's, he's, switching, he's switching metaphors, and then he is actually saying, okay, put on God's armor. Don't trust your own magical amulets. Don't trust your own magic. God's God, you are not. That's, that's the whole point of Scripture. For us as Christians, let's remember who, who we are in the story. And so we point to the Lord for strength, and, and we want to know who our enemy is. And it says not flesh and blood, but who is it? And so that's where it goes ahead and spells out all these different names of these spiritual realms. It says, uh, against the authorities against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces of the heaven. 
he expands on who this is. And we're tempted because we're not people who read demonic um, invocations, magic books for fun. I hope not. But if you were one of those people who read magic books for fun, you would recognize that these terms are not just terms for us to interpret however we want, but these were specific names and titles for different demons and, and things. Um, the first two are, are ways that Jews and the early Christians referred to Satan. And, and Paul describes them, Satan in chapter 2 as the ruler of the realm of the air. And so what we see is that Satan appears to be the ruler of the, this vast army of spirits, and they're ranked in some way. And, and it's not important for us to know how all that ranking works and what they're able to do because it doesn't tell us. And, and so because it doesn't tell us, we, we just know that there's a whole variety of enemy here. Um, the, the, the language that Paul uses would have been understandable to the original Jews who are reading this because it was part of their terms, the collective vernacular for demonic spirits, uh, especially in Ephesus, that this wouldn't have been something that was foreign to them. The new idea is that for the Gentiles who were um, reading this and hearing about this maybe for the first time, uh, would be that their spiritual stuff and their local religions and their own magic was all animated by one ruler who is Satan, the devil. And there, there was this, this strong need that the Christians had and the Jews had and the new converts had to accept Jesus as who Jesus was, but then to, to bring in the outside sources and, and, and other religions and kind of make sense of everything. Um, that, that There was no... T today, if, if Emma was to go ahead and say that she wants to be a good Christian, but she learned about Buddhism at school, and that's pretty cool too, and so she's going to start doing some Buddhism stuff. And, and then she starts learning about some Hindu stuff, and so that's pretty cool too. And so she starts bringing all these different things together. Hopefully as a church, we're like, Emma, you can't do that. Don't do that. Jesus is the only way. In this time, it, it was normal and accepted to go ahead and pick and choose which types of influence you, you bring in. What Jesus is saying is, hey, all, or Paul is saying to the, these Jews and about all the spiritual warfare is that all of that magic and all those other ways that we um, try to control the demonic world, all that is headed by the devil and Satan, and it's all contrary to who God is. And so what are we supposed to do instead? Depend on God wholly, wholeheartedly trust in who God is, depend on him to bring us through. Um, Yeah. And, and so the fact that it's Halloween and I'm preaching about spiritual evil, it's interesting. And we didn't plan that. That's just how, how the schedule worked out. Um, but it's also not something I want to take lightly. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 6, this whole passage again says, Finally be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. Whenever I'm in part of conversations about spiritual warfare with people, uh, it, it tends to get to the point in the conversation where we just kind of pause and look at each other, and there's this somber heaviness of who the, our enemy is, right? If you've had these conversations, you know what I'm talking about. And, and it's easy to spin our wheels in, in kind of this evil world. But it's not a place I want to settle. Um, I, I had a professor in college, and he, he taught pretty extensively about spiritual warfare and the spiritual realm. And whenever he would teach, he, he would start with the preface that um, if all you think about is spiritual warfare, what are you going to see? Spiritual warfare. Everywhere you go, all you're going to see is demons. And, and, and so I want to pause and say, 
as we're talking about spiritual warfare and demons and the demonic and our enemies, um, it says be strong in who God's strength is. And I, I really want to emphasize what, where that's, what that strength is and who God is in, in contrast to the spiritual, spiritual enemies. Um, and, and so we need to remember, especially when we spend time in the, in the demonic world and as we're praying, I mean, even just in Sunday school, we're praying for the spiritual warfare all around us. It, it, it's present and we feel it. But let's remember who God is. And, and so just some, some general principles from Scripture of who God is. First one is that God is omnipresent. Meaning in Psalm 139 it says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live in the eastern horizon or settle on the western limits, even your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold to me. In Isaiah 43 it says, Do not fear, for I redeemed you and I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And the river will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In other words, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He is available to us. He's made himself available to us. Two, God is omniscient. In Job, it says, listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God directs his clouds or makes lightning flash? Do you understand how the clouds float? Those wondrous works of him who has perfect knowledge. Isaiah 40, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God is omniscient. He, he, anything that is able to be known, he knows. God's eternal. Exodus 3, when, when it's Moses by the burning bush, it, says, if I go to Israelites and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God says, I am who I am. That's what you're supposed to say. I am has sent me to you. And then God said to Moses, Let's say that's the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I'll be remembered in every generation. In Revelation 1, John records the vision. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierce him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, and so it is to be. Amen. I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. The one who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. And, and, and then God works miracles. All throughout Scripture, we see God working miracles. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you all these great and awe-inspiring works that your eyes have seen. In, in Job 5, there's this dialogue between the friend and, and, and Job, and it says, however, if I were you, I would appeal to God and present to him my case. He does great things, unsearchable things, without wonders without number. In Acts chapter 19, there's, there's Paul doing all these different miracles in God's name, so much so that the stuff that Paul touched, like the face claws and the aprons, people would take those and then touch other people with it, and then that would power would somehow do miracles too. What, what we see is that we have a God who's um, is... is omnipresent, not limited space or time. He's omniscient. He knows everything there is to be known. He's eternal with no beginning, no end. He, he works miracles. Why do I remind us of who God is in this conversation? Because we have an enemy, but that enemy's already been defeated, and he's not there. It's Jesus who's on the throne. I, I think of that song, If Our God's For Us, Who Can Be Against Us? But as Paul reminds us, we, we all, yes, we do need to be on guard, but we don't have to be afraid. Not, not because the spirits aren't real, but because who is stronger? What's God? And he's made himself available to us. He's given us his armor. He's given us the strategy that we need. And so how do, what, what is that armor? What does that look like? Come back next week for more on that. 
but why do we need to be strengthened? Because we have an enemy who's led by the devil that would love to see us stumble. So what do we do? Application points. We, we, we need to know that spirit beings are real. Don't live under the rock saying that um, all this magic stuff is all fun and games and child play. Spirit is real. Spirit beings are real. We have enemies against us. Uh, we, we, we tend to try to like dismiss the devil as a real being. But if you travel a little bit, or you, I, I like to read National Geographic and as I read about other cultures, I, I see things where people from Asia and Africa and Pacific Islands, like they, they, they greatly believe in the devil in the spiritual realm so much because they see it in their lives. And, and I think as Westerners, we need to question our skepticism a little bit sometimes. There's this widespread conception that science has disproven spirits, that we read things of demon-possessed people in the Bible, and then there's psychologists who will say, well, I know, I can look at the DSM, and I know what that is. And so we dismiss the things in the Bible as saying, oh, well, it's not spiritual, that's just psychological. And, and, and yes, it's, it's, there is some science and psychology that, um, I mean, if the, 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 there is schizophrenia and various organic brain disorders and psychological phenomena and dissociation, that stuff that can happen that people used to describe as spiritual warfare. I'm not saying dismiss it all. I'm not saying accept it all. I'm saying there is a spiritual manifestation within our world that we live in. Uh, and, and so there's a danger that we have to discount the reality of the supernatural opponents. And when, and, and when we dismiss the reality that there's a spiritual enemy against us, um, it's, it's kind of like if we were told that there's going to be a burglar planning to break into the church. And, and so if we know that there's a burglar trying to get in the church, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have a bunch of people show up, and, and they might carry something with them, and we might let the police know. And, and, and we'll be ready because we know the enemy is coming. But if we say, no, burglars aren't true, we're a church, we're, we're fine, we don't need that, what's going to happen? We're, we're going to be robbed. To, to, to say it's not there makes us extremely vulnerable. It's there. Um, the second thing we need to know is to depend on God's power. This is not something where if you are someone who prays enough and um, goes through the right Bible studies and att attends church enough and you go through the right motions that you can be strong enough to, d to ward off these spirits. Um, it's God's power that does this, not our own. Am I doing time? 42. I'll skip that. You're welcome. I'm skipping, uh, skipping a little bit. Um, third thing, God's power is available to us. Spirits are real. We need God's power, and he's made that power available to us. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty strength. And, and he goes on and he prays and on and on and on that believers in the church would know and have their eyes open to what that power means and what it looks like to have that power as part of our lives. And, and, and so we need that power because we cannot live the Christian life. We cannot walk in a way that's honor and holy to God on our own. If, if there's someone that you look up to that seems like they got their stuff together and they're walking in a way that's holy and honorable to God, ask them about it. Chances are, one, they'll say, well, you only see a little bit. And two, they're going to point to their God who's their strength through the whole thing. Um... Third thing, fourth thing, oh, I forgot what point I'm at. Be rooted in prayer. 
um, when you come back next week and, and Pastor Matt talks to you about spiritual warfare or the armor of God, um, the, the, the conclusion of all of it is to be rooted in prayer. The, the whole thing is to, um, when, when you pray, the spiritual armor is activated. When you pray, you're in communion with God. When you pray, you're recognizing that God is God, that you are not, and you need his strength. It's this continual prayer that is what we need to continue our life. If, if, if you think that you are able to live life as a strong Christian but not pray, like you're not taking this seriously. You're, you're not actually looking at what Scripture says. You're wasting your time trying to be a, uh, to stand firm against the enemy if you're not willing to pray. And so what do we do today? Well, we know spirits are real. We depend on God's prayer. We, we depend on God's power. We know that God's power is available to us, and then we root ourselves in prayer. The, the goal here, the, the, coming all the way back to the, the main point of the whole sermon, our goal is to walk worthy of a way, walk our lives worthy to God. But we recognize that that's not an easy task, and there's all sorts of obstacles that get in the way, and a lot of it is spiritual. And so there's these powerful beings, and they want to see us fail. And so instead, we, we rest in our relationship with God. We depend on him for his strength. God's greater. He's stronger. He laid on the cross. He died. He resurrected. He ascended from the grave. Yes, there's an enemy here, but on the day, God already won. And, and so we're, at this time of communion, we're, we're going to go into it remembering that God is on the throne, that he's already won, that he wants to dwell with us. He wants to commune with us. He wants us to be with him. And when we do so, all that spirit stuff has no power over us. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and, and, and the richness of your word. Thank you that it's rooted in history and archaeology and, and the stuff that we can dig up and, and, and learn more about what your word has to say. It's not just fables and myths. God, I pray that um, I don't know what stones I'm unturning about spiritual warfare when we speak about it. I pray for people here in this room and the families that we have where there is spiritual warfare very real in our lives. Help us depend on you. Help us put our strength in you. I pray that we will be a church that comes around and rallies together as your people to fight this course together, to stand firm together. Lord, we, we love you and we want to trust you, so help us trust you. Say this all in your name. Amen.